Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that wants everyone to know that the Wendy's Baconator is his favorite burger that sounds like a pig from the future that's here to kill you. <laughs> it's Dale. Yeah, yeah it probably is. <laughs> All that bacon on it. All that bacon in it, but it is good. <laughs> bacon and grease. And cheese, cheese grease. Yeah. You know, it's got like forearm cheese grease. I mean, there's no better vehicle for cheese than bacon. That's right. They can ride around together. Yeah, they can. It's, it's damn good. <laughs> What's going on, dude? You, man. You, man. No, same old, same old. Same old, same old. We got to say same old, same old every time. We have to, don't we? Yeah, because it's, it's kind of a thing now. Same old, same old. Yeah. I guess we got to get a shirt. We're going to put that on a shirt eventually. <laughs> Maybe Chris Williams isn't about one. <laughs> That's right. You got any good shout outs to anybody you want to talk uh, about? Dude. Look at there. Man. We're piling them up, ain't we? Pile them on. We have a new... Apple Podcast five star. Five star, five star. Review. And this comes from our friend Shelly Baines. I'm going to go with Baines. B A E N Z. Baines? Sounds good to me. I was going to go Beans, but either one's cool. Yeah. So you you can uh, text me and straighten me out. Shelly Baines. Okay. Anyway, goes. I found Podcast Gold. That's an exclamation in all capitals, buddy. Gold. Yeah. He's golden in their heels. This is the best crime podcast out there today. I like your relaxed demeanor and your genuine presentation also thanks for keeping up with the asia degree case hopefully that case will be solved one day hopefully so yep hopefully hopefully so thank you so much shelly bang beans beans i'll tell you what shelly baines <laughs> write us email us and tell us how you pronounce your last name or yeah, that's part of like your last a, name or, or, or there's, there's, it's just a handle or a video clip or something let yeah. me know let me know we'll, we'll get it straight we uh, we love it yeah. anyway thanks so much uh, for taking a few minutes to uh give us a five-star review it means the world to us and appreciate you putting that in the in the box so we know who it is and uh that's a uh, that's pretty damn good best crime podcast out there today man that's yeah i think i, I need to be on the shirt too yeah i agree i agree with that man <laughs> i'm not prejudiced or anything but i think we are i think we're really good we'll, we can put that on the shirt and we'll put her name under it as a quote and it, it ain't lying right no it's not lying no <laughs> anyway thanks again Shelly. But if anybody wants to be like Shelly Baines Beans and go to <laughs> Apple Podcast and rate and review, please write something in that box and we will give you a big old shout out. Yep, just like we did Beans. We did. That's right. <laughs> and go to the store page, get you something cool to wear, support the show, help keep the lights on. Man, we we really appreciate that. Yeah, those people bought some stuff and we appreciate it a whole Heck bunch. Yeah. I, got if, a, I got a text the other day that said, hey, I bought me a hoodie. Man. Wow, how cool is that? Yeah, but, First I said, I, I thought they said I want a hoodie, so I sent them the link to look at and they're like, no, that's where I bought it from. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I just, I was, I was doing something. And I just looked at it quick and said, I want a hoodie. I'm like, I was just trying to help them out. I'm like, no, dumbest. <laughs> or you done got one. <laughs> so how cool is that? But if you take a, buy something and get something from us, uh, take a picture of it and we'll post it on our socials. Heck yeah. Yeah. Be glad to do that. But we will do it. No doubt about yeah, it. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Like an army of photos. Yeah. That'd be cool. An army? Yeah. I don't know. I can't think of nothing else. Yeah. I don't know what the <laughs> a group of photos would be called, but. Lots of lots of lots of photos. Army of photos. That that sounds good to me. Yeah, I would go with that. Yeah, I'd go with that. But uh, we're gonna get into this episode, man, because we've got. That's probably why we're rambling, because this is gonna be rough. <laughs> Trying yeah. to push this off a little bit. We have uh, looked into this case we're doing today, and I'm telling you, we've covered over 200 cases on this show, man. Mm-hmm. And some of them been rough. Some of them have been. But rough. this one is at the top of the list. Yeah, yeah. So put on you, big girl and big boy panties. Cause this is uh, this is gonna be rough. Big boy panties. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Whatever you like. Yeah, whatever <laughs> whatever floats your boat, I reckon. But uh, Dale, today we're talking about a lady by the name of Bobby Joe Stinnett. Bobby Joe. Yeah, 
Just a little bit of background on Bobby Joe Stennett. She was born Bobby Joe Potter on December the 4th, 1981, to parents Becky and Buck Potter. And she was their only child. Hmm. But Dale, when she was born, she was born with a cleft palate. Right. Yeah, and she had to have several surgeries to fix this um, issue she had. Right. Yeah. And she also had some other issues. She suffered from ear infections a lot and had to have tubes put in her ears at one point. Yeah, a lot of people have that. Yeah. And from all these problems, she ended up having some speech problems, speech impediment. Well, that kind of comes with the territory. It does. But despite these health issues, Bobby Joe was described as a sweet child. Yes. She was. Well, just because she had a clip out, I don't mean she's going to be a bad person. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, they they considered her a little bit shy, too, I guess, because of having the, the speech impediment and stuff. You know how people will be and people make fun of you because kids are, kids are cruel, man. Mm, yeah, in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. No doubt about it. <laughs> Lived it. We know it. But when Bobby Joe was little, her parents, Becky and Buck, their marriage was on the rocks, man. Mm, yeah. Not good. Yeah, while Bobby Joe was just a small kid. And her father moved to Texas and left the family behind. Becky, Buck, and Bobby Joe. Yeah. You can write a song about that. Yeah. But Becky and Bobby Joe did join Buck later, but their reunion was pretty short-lived. Mm. Buck wasn't a family man at all. Well, I don't think he really wanted to have that responsibility to pay all that attention and pay some bills. Probably not. Yeah, he had stuff to do. Yep. But Becky had had enough, and she took Bobby Joe, and they returned to Skidmore, Missouri, right. and lived there as a single parent. But just a little bit about Skidmore, Missouri. Now, this is a speck on the map. It's a it, metropolis. Well, <laughs> it's a tiny... <laughs> It's a tiny town in northwestern Nottaway County in Missouri. Missouri, yeah. That's your town, ain't it? Yes. Nottaway. I I could sleep there, yeah. Be like Naptown in Nottaway County. (laughs) Yeah. But Skidmore, Missouri is uh, at the junction of Missouri Highway 113 and Route DD with a population of just under 300 people. But it's a pretty good place to live. In the last hundred years, half of the residents of Skidmore have either moved away or died. Yeah, sounds like a great place. Yeah. But it would be a small place to live just to have a quiet life, I guess. There's more people in high school down here. At the local high school here than (laughs) they are in the whole town. Yeah. But you could say Skidmore has, a, I guess, a kind of an aura. The crime rate in this town is low. But when something happens... It's pretty grisly because there have been some other cases there that we may talk about later. There was a guy there by the name of Ken Rex McElroy that just, he was a like a town bully. Hmm. He had raped and murdered people. and was That's a, a little more than bullying. Yeah. He was uh, abused some animals and different things, and he was actually killed by a mob that got together and killed him on the street. Sounded like somebody had enough. Yeah. And we may cover him a little bit later down the road. Wow. Yeah. But like we say, when something happens there, it's pretty rough. <laughs> They're going for it. They are going all out. Good gracious. All right, let's go. But there in Skidmore, Becky Potter tried to offer Bobby Joe the best possible life she could give her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she'd even got a job at a local store to help support her and Bobby Joe. Well, I guess that'd do something. Yeah, but Becky, her and Buck's divorce was finalized in 1985. And around the time she became a teenager, Becky married again, 
Bobby Joe's mom married again. Okay. And they welcomed another child. It was a son named Tyler. So Bobby Joe had a brother. Bobby Joe. And it wasn't starting with a B. No. Yeah, they didn't keep up the tradition, I guess. (laughs) We got a new member, so the tradition's broken, I guess. But Bobby Joe was in high school there at Nottaway Holt High School there in Graham, Missouri. And she participated in several clubs. She was uh, in the 4-H club. She worked on the school newspaper. Uh, She was a cheerleader and an honor student. Yes, she worked on the yearbook, too. She did. Mm -hmm. And as a teenager, Bobby Joe loved animals, especially horses, and enjoyed barrel riding. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I wouldn't do. No, I like I'm, horses, but I ain't riding one. No, I'm well, not, I would, but I'm not. I don't, anyway. And I'm not riding a barrel either. <laughs> but now, Bobby Joe, she had a talent of connecting with animals and was able to work with animals. She just connected with them and hmm. was able to get them to do what she wanted to do. And this would later come into play later in her life. Hmm. But Bobby Joe Potter, she graduated in the spring of 2000, and she began working at a local feed and supply store called Earl May Feed and Supply. There, it's a good name for a feed and supply store. It's a typical name, yeah. And she got that job in April of 2001. And her supervisor, his name was Chuck Ellis. And according to him, Bobby Joe was just a dream employee. She was, hmm. she was always ready to help others and was dependable and flexible. So this was a, a good, good fit for her. I guess that means flexible is in her hours and how she could work. I guess. Not that she could touch her toes. Or maybe she would uh, take on any task that they asked her to do. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. But she eventually worked there at the, in the pet corner of the feed and supply. And she was responsible for ordering small animals like bunnies, gerbils, rats, mice, guinea pigs for the store. Hmm. All right. Now, while she was working there at the feed and supply store, she got to raising rat terriers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was something she was really interested in. Yeah, something she always wanted to do, you know. I yeah. Think. But like you said earlier, she had a real bond with animals, so it's a good idea. It was. So on January the 17th of 2002, Bobby Joe's first dog was a seven-year-old rat terrier named Tipsy, and she gave birth to her first litter. And all but one of those puppies Bobby Joe sold under her business that she created, it was called Happy Haven Farms. That's a good name. Yeah. And Bobby Joe, she became a very responsible breeder who carefully selected who was allowed to adopt her pups Hmm. and each prospective owner dale they had to fill out a two-page application form going into detail of their household how much time they had for the dog and you know she's not just a puppy mill slinging them out for a dollar she's takes care and really won't you know Makes it seem to where the animal's going to a good home. Yeah, and even the new owner had to uh, enroll the dog into obedience classes. So I couldn't have one of these dogs because I'm not writing a two-page application. I know. So <laughs> yeah, nothing. Yeah, so she was very dedicated to her breeding. She became really good at it and respected in that field. Right. Yeah. So in 2003, Bobby Joe left her job at the Earl May Feed and Seed, and she accepted a position at the Kawasaki plant that was near there in Skidmore, Missouri. Yeah, it probably paid a little more, you think? Yeah, it was a major employer there in Nottoway County. Nottoway. Yeah, where her boyfriend at the time, his name was Zeb Stennett, and he was the step-grandson of Joanne Stennett, who also worked there. And Bobby Joe and Zeb, they had grown up together there in the same neighborhood, and, you know, I guess they'd be in a small town. They knew each other from when they were kids. Hmm. But they've dated for a while, and they actually ended up getting married on April the 26th of 2003. 
and they rented a small house on Elm Street. Oh, man. Yeah. And I've seen pictures of this house, and it is very small. Yeah, that wouldn't worry me as much as being on Elm Street. I know. <laughs> but anyway. Kind of foreshadowing. Yeah. Now, the Stennett's dream was to buy their own house one day. Right. And the money that Bobby Joe was making from breeding her rat terriers, she was putting that money away. Right. So That's they, smart. Yeah, so they could buy their bigger home. So around this time, Bobby Joe, she was a pretty familiar face at dog shows, in addition to showing the dogs in the ring. And she even became a licensed judge for the National Kennel Club. Hmm. Yeah. And a rat terrier breed inspector and press secretary for the United Kennel Club. Now she have time for all this. Man, she was, she was doing it. Once. Yeah, that was pretty prestigious. No doubt about it. So, Dale, we're moving up to Thursday, December the 16th of 2004. Okay. And this day began like any other day for Zeb and Bobby Joe Stennett. Mm-hmm. The couple, you know, they were childhood sweethearts, and they had recently celebrated two important dates, their first wedding anniversary and Bobby Joe's 23rd birthday. Man, she's done a lot to be 23. Yeah, I know. And they had an even greater event to look forward to, Dale. Mm-hmm. Bobby Joe was expecting their first child in January. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were getting a lot done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. Like, yeah. And the two were talking of upgrading their small home to a larger home like we talked about and right. growing their family. So at around 2.30 that afternoon, Bobby Joe's mom, Becky, called Bobby Joe to confirm that she would give Becky a ride home from work around 3.30 because Becky's truck was in the shop and she worked, I guess, two or three blocks away. So she was going to give her a ride home. So Bobby Joe was going to give her mom a ride home. Yes. Okay. She was going to try not to get confused all these beasts. Yeah. (laughs) Becky had called her to remind her to give her a ride home. Right. They lived fairly close to each other, right? They did. Yeah. And as 3.30 came and went, Becky was kind of puzzled that, Bobby Joe hadn't got there to pick her up hmm. to take her home. So Becky, her mom, walked two blocks to Bobby Joe's home, and she found the front door open. Which is weird because it was really cold that day. It was. This was this was uh, December. Yeah. And when she found the front door open, she went inside calling Bobby Joe's name. Yes, when she wasn't answering. No. And when she got to the dining room, Dale, she was, man, I, she was greeted with the most, I guess, horrific sight. She could see. Yeah, not good. It was the sight of her daughter, Bobby Joe, laying on the floor covered in blood. Yep. And to Becky, uh, she called 911. Yeah. And she was just screaming. She was hysterical, right? And I've heard, I've, I've, I'd love to include the 911 call, but I've only heard excerpts of here and there, and I hadn't been able to find the whole. Well, if we find it between now and post time, we'll put it in. Yeah, we'll, we'll insert it, but. Yeah, but when she called 911, man, she was hysterical. Yeah. She told the 911 operator that it looked like her, her daughter's stomach had exploded. Yeah. Wow. And there was no sign of the baby. Yeah, remember, this is December and the baby was due in January. Yes. So she's almost full term here. Yeah. yeah, she was expecting eight months pregnant. Yeah. yeah. And she was hysterical. Oh, God, I know. I, I can't imagine. And they were telling her to start CPR or something, do whatever they could do. Uh, but the paramedics, they arrived, and Bobby Joe didn't make it, man. No. No, she was actually pronounced dead at 427 that afternoon. Well, they said they kept, you know, she kept staying, screaming about the baby. You could do something about the baby. But they were kind of confused because her stomach was kind of flat, even though it looked like it exploded. So they didn't know what was going on. Yeah. They couldn't understand that at all. But right. there was a lot of blood. Yeah. 
but they got to looking into who had killed Bobby Joe Stennett. And police, they got to knocking on doors all around Skidmore. Yeah, well, all around, yeah. See if anybody had seen anything. Well, you know, if it's so small, you're going to know if you see a car or something that's not usually there. Yeah. And they were searching potential witnesses or residents who might have seen something. Mm -hmm. And one of the residents mentioned seeing, uh, it's like a dirty red car that was parked in the Stennett's driveway around 2.30 p.m. Right. And it stuck out because, I guess, the neighbors had never seen it before. Yeah. Nosy neighbors. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank God for them. And when they got to investigating Bobby Joe and checking her out, they noticed there were some blonde hairs clutched in her fist. Yeah. And they collected those. Yeah. And this was a sign that Bobby Joe had been fighting her attacker. She had fought someone, yeah. Yeah. Now, Dale, there was blood found on the bottoms of Bobby Joe's feet. Mm. And this suggested that after the killer had taken her baby out of her out of her body, Bobby Joe had actually regained consciousness and stood up to try to save herself and mm. the unborn child. So basically what happened, somebody has come in here and strangled her with a cord that they think, and then taken a knife and cut her open to take the baby out. Yes. Whew. Yeah, that's what happened. Now, even though it's on the bottom of her feet, I don't know that hmm, that'd be rough, man. I don't know about getting up. Could I don't know. You could, you know, bend your knees and stomp them on the floor. There's going to be blood everywhere. Pull your knees I mean, up. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. I don't know if there's tracks or tracks around the kitchen. That's different. Well, it at least shows that she, was, some she point, wasn't dead. Yeah, she was uh, conscious enough to to put her feet on the floor. Yeah. Some yeah. capacity or another. Yeah, so it shows she was not dead when she was butchered. Yeah, this is true. Good Lord. But the baby had been taken from her womb, man. Mm. Yeah. And the doctors believed it. Alive. Yeah. Baby was taken alive. And the mama was alive. Yeah. At that point. Mm-hmm. And just left to bleed out, I guess. I guess. But the sheriff there in Nottaway County, his name was Ben Epsy. And immediately he insisted that an Amber Alert be issued. Right. For this newborn infant. This yeah. fetus, yeah. That wasn't easy to get done, though. No. He was actually stopped on this. It couldn't be done. Right. Because it had never been issued before. Well, for... technically, it's not supposed to be. True. If you go by the Amber Alert rules, I guess. You couldn't describe the co- the child because nobody had seen it. Right. And you only got a uh, a local description eyewitness of a car, but that's all you know. Yeah, you don't know if the child is I a boy or a girl or anything. it's got to be like 17 and under, and you have to have a... Some kind of description of the, the of the person missing, maybe the perpetrator, and in the vehicle. Yeah, I think is the rules of that. But that but that has only been put into place to make sure it's not a false report. Yeah, to me, cry wolves. Right, right, right. So yeah. they don't want to use the system for that. Yeah. So that's why they were meeting with uh, resistance. Yeah, they got turned down for this Amber Alert. Yeah, that sheriff ain't playing this game. No, he was a daggum good sheriff. Yeah. No doubt about it, because uh, he went over their head. Yeah. He went to the state representative, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. And they looked into it immediately, and they got it approved yeah. to get this Amber Alert issued. Right. Yeah. Kudos to that. So it was a nationwide Amber Alert that was issued for this case. It was the first one ever issued for a fetus. Yeah, just looking for a baby stint. That's all they knew. Yeah, and they were looking for... Anybody with a newborn infant. In a red car, yes. Yeah. So that's all they had really had to go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything suspicious. Now, Bobby Joe's husband, Zeb, you know, he was working that day at the... And I'm sure he's going to be number one on the list. Oh, yeah. He was working at the Kawasaki 
plant, and his alibi was corroborated. He yeah, was at work. work. Yeah, he had a solid alibi. And quickly dismissed him as a suspect. Man, I need to get that damn news. Yeah. So they got to looking into Bobby Joe's business that she had. Well, they took her computer. Yeah, that's what they were looking at. They started going through that, and that's when they found some leads. Yeah, they found some chats that Bobby had been having Mm -hmm. with her uh, rat terrier business that she had. Right. They found uh, some uh, messages from a Darlene Fisher. Yes. Who they were supposed to meet up with on this day and about that time about buying a dog. Yeah, because they were part of a an online chat group. It was called Ratter Chatter. Yeah, about these uh, rat terriers. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a, I guess, a forum yeah. chat. Uh, I don't know. Something they had back in 2004. Yeah, you just go in there and post stuff and talk, mess back and forth. Yeah, that kind of thing. about rat terriers. Ratter yeah. Chatter. Dog, it's a dog thing, yeah. But uh, the FBI agent saw some messages from, a, like you said, a lady named Darlene Fisher. Right. And they got to looking into this and where the messages were coming from. Mm-hmm. And they were actually able to pull an IP address. Yep. Which is pretty dang cool. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And they, when they pulled this, they, there was no Darlene Fisher that they could find. Well, they started looking for a Darlene Fisher, but they quickly figured out that this Darlene Fisher didn't exist. If she did, she had never had a credit card, never had any kind of banking. It wasn't no addresses. Or there was nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing but this one profile. And she was supposed to be from Fairfax, Missouri. Yes. So once they found the IP address and started chasing that down, the computer forensics analysis came up with the, these emails went to a modem that was hooked into a telephone line. Not in Fairfax, Missouri, but in Melbourne, Kansas. Yes. And this line actually belonged to a Kevin and Lisa Montgomery. Yeah. Wasn't no Darlene Fisher at all. So, no. So, now they got to go, the next place would be to go to check these people and see what's going on with this and, you know, and see if they can find this Darlene. Yeah. So, they, immediately they send agents to It's like the, Melbourne, next, Kansas. the next day, right? The yeah. next day or two days. The next day. Yeah, the next day. Yeah, the next day they send agents to Melbourne, Kansas to Kevin and Lisa Montgomery's home mm-hmm. to find out what's happening, right. if they know anything about what is going on with this. So on December the 17th, this was the next day. The next day. The next day after Bobby Joe was murdered, Kevin and Lisa Montgomery, Dale, they were at this Whistle Stop Cafe in Melbourne, Kansas. That's what they were doing. They were showing off their newborn daughter. The brand new, brand new day old daughter. Yeah, and they named her Abigail. Abigail, yeah. And they were showing her off, and people were holding her and just Which is weird to me. loving on her, yeah. But 36-year-old Lisa Montgomery, she had been shopping in Topeka the day before. Right. She told family and friends and went into labor and was taken to a birthing center where she delivered the baby girl. Right. And she then called her husband, Kevin, who along with his two teenage kids, they drove to Topeka picking her and the baby up. At the Long John Silver's. Across the street. <laughs> From the Burden Center. And she called him up and said, pick me up across the street from the Burden Center at Long John Silver's. Because that's what everybody does. Exactly. Don't pick me up here. Pick me up across the street. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. But while... Maybe she needed a fish sandwich. I guess. Greasy fish sandwich. But while Kevin and Lisa were at this Whistle Stop Cafe, they had no way of knowing that the FBI agents were at their house. Waiting. Yeah, this their home was on South Adams Road, and the agents had learned just before pulling up to the house that the last email Bobby Joe had received had come from the Montgomery home. Right. And the agents, they watched as the Montgomerys 
pulled up in their red Toyota Corolla, a dirty red Toyota Corolla. Yep. And get this, Lisa was holding a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And after Kevin and Lisa went in the house, the FBI agents, they walked up the driveway and were greeted by a lot of rat terriers. Mm. Mm. Looks like you're at the right place, don't it? It does, man. And Lisa's husband, Kevin, answered the front door, you know, the knock at the door. Mm-hmm. And they noticed Lisa was on the sofa holding the infant. Yeah, he told them to come on in. Yep. And when they walked in the house, they were watching an Amber Alert. On the, TV. For the Stennett baby on television. Man, how ironic is this? Crazy. Now, Sergeant Investigator, his name was Randy Strong, he explained to Kevin and Lisa Montgomery that he was investigating Bobby Joe Stennett's murder and asked about the baby. Mm-hmm. And Lisa told him that she'd given birth to their baby the day before at the birthing center there in Topeka, Kansas. And she asked Kevin to go out to the truck and get her discharge papers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he didn't, bro. He couldn't find them, could he? Yeah, he couldn't find them. You know why? They didn't have because them. Because they wasn't they, they wasn't any. And while waiting, investigator Strong noticed that there was dried blood around Lisa's fingernails. So this woman ain't washed her hands in two days? Yeah, I just found oh, I out. I guess a day. I just found that weird. That's very weird. Yeah. Because blood will wash out pretty easily, but yeah. well, especially after a day, you think, yeah. I mean, you got that's you got a lot of time to do it. You hold. I mean, she was at Long John Silver. She could have went in there and washed her hands. Yeah, but <laughs> you hold a newborn baby with dirty fingernails. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the SBI agent Strong asked to speak to Lisa outside, and she agreed, mm-hmm. and she gave the baby to a law enforcement officer. And once they got outside, Lisa Montgomery told the investigator that her family, they were struggling financially. Yeah. And her husband, Kevin, didn't know about it. No. Poor poor fella. Seems yeah. like he don't know about a lot of stuff. I know, and we're going to get into that. She had, she told the investigator that she had given birth at home with the assistance of two of her friends. Yeah, we just don't have no money, so I'm going to call my friends, come over here. And Help me deliver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, when pressed for names, Lisa said they were actually... <laughs> She said they weren't actually in the house, but they helped her over the phone. What the hell? Deliver her baby. I could, I'd love to see this guy's face while he's asking these questions and she's giving her giving these answers. Yeah, I bet his his jaw is just dropping to the ground. Yeah, and she said she'd given birth in the kitchen, and actually disposed of the placenta in a nearby creek. That's what I do with it. Just taking the creek. Lord have mercy. God, now Dale don't make this up, man. <laughs> uh-uh. And it was at this point Lisa uh, requested the interview continue at the nearby sheriff's office. I think they they requested she go yeah. to the sheriff's office, and she said okay. Yeah. Now, when they got to the sheriff's office, Lisa broke down and confessed to having strangled Bobby Joe Stennett. Yes. Uh, then cutting the baby from her womb, and then kidnapping the infant. Now, according to Lisa, she arrived at the Stennett home around 12.30 in the afternoon with a sharp knife and a white cord. And she said that her and Bobby Joe had played outside with the puppies until Bobby Joe's mom, Becky, had called around 2.15 or 2.30. And after Bobby Joe hung up the phone, that's when Lisa attacked her, strangled her with the cord, and that's when Lisa began cutting the baby out. Lisa said that Bobby Joe regained consciousness 
and the result was a struggle. Oh, God, I guess so. Yeah. So and, what she's telling us here is, which, you know, this is a little bit different than, you know, because one of them, some, of, some of the information we had was that she was on the phone when she pulled up with her mom and she told her she had to go because the lady was there. Yes. This is the first I've seen about, or first I heard, well, I will not go into that far. But anyway, so we don't really know how, how it went down, but according to other information we found is when they were in the house, they went in the kitchen, that's where she kept the, the kennels with the dogs. And uh, when she went to pick up one of the puppies, that's when she pulled out the cord and wrapped her around her neck and mm-hmm. choked her out. And then went to cut her, cutting her open. And then that's when she came to. And then Lisa strangled her a second time, and that's when she removed the baby from her. Yeah. Man, this, I can't imagine this. Now, Lisa Montgomery was arrested and charged with the federal offense of kidnapping resulting in death. Because, you know, she did take an infant across state lines, too. Oh, yeah. And agents, they didn't believe that Kevin was aware of what his wife did, nor had anything to do with the crime. They didn't believe it. No, he was, Kevin was shocked. Yeah. He was convinced his wife had been pregnant the whole time. That's what he was saying. And I'm thinking, dude, how, how I, I can't wrap my head around this. How do you, how do you fake a pregnancy? Well. Your husband don't know. Well, she did. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that too. I guess you sleep in there and I'll stay in here for nine months. You don't need to see me. Yeah. Because there's a big difference when you start and when you end. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you, I don't know. Maybe the first couple months you can fake it. Oh yeah, but after a while it's going to be hard. Yeah, yeah. Now this um, investigator Strong, he was a former paramedic, and he had noticed that the infant was a baby girl, and was only five pounds eleven ounces, and had been very still and quiet while they were at the Montgomery home. And he also considered the baby's head to be unusually round. It wasn't a, a vaginal birth. Because, you know... He wasn't combed out or nothing? No. Usually a, a cesarean baby or baby that's taken like that would be have a perfect little round head. Yeah. Yeah. But the baby was taken to the hospital and checked out. And she was put in the NICU to check her out and get her everything she needed. But she was healthy. Now, on uh, December the 21st, this was a very, very cold day in Skidmore. And Bobby Joe Stennett was laid to rest at the Hillcrest Cemetery. Hmm. And Dale, there was more than 400 people turned out to pay respects. It's more than an old town. It is. And the next day, the baby was discharged from the hospital and returned to her father, Zeb. And he named the baby Victoria Joe. Yeah, that's what uh, Bobby Joe had wanted her named. Yeah, yeah, she had been a girl. And he called her, her a miracle. Whew. Yeah. Man, this gives me chills. Huh? I know, man. Now, just a little bit more about this Lisa Montgomery. Now, Lisa was prematurely born in February of 1968, and her mom was an alcohol-addicted mother, and her name was Judy. Hmm. And her early birth, along with an alcoholic mom, it contributed to what was later diagnosed as a permanent brain damage Lisa had. Hmm. Well, I don't know if that's what caused it, but she's got a lot of other stuff that's going to make it even worse. Yes. And Lisa's father also suffered with mental illness and the family. They lived in poverty. Hmm. But the only bright spot in Lisa's world, it seemed, was her older half-sister, Diane, who was four at the time that Lisa was born. Mm -hmm. And she had a a younger half-sister, Patty, who was born uh, when Lisa was two and Diane was six. Now, Lisa's father, he abandoned the family when Lisa was 
just a small kid. Right. Leaving her and Diane. Who was his daughter from another lady. Mm-hmm. Left them, too. He did. Yeah. To endure Judy, her negligence, the mom. Yeah. And she was violent, and she beat her kids with belts, cords, hangers, or whatever she can get her hands anything. on. Anything. Them kids were forced to suffer cold showers and even forced them to eat raw onions, which I don't understand why. Why the hell are you going to do that? I know. Yeah, it's even said that, you know, when they were toddlers, that uh, she would just leave them strapped in her high chair for hours until they eat everything that was on her, their plate. She yeah. She let them up. Just sit there. It didn't matter to her. You stay there all day. Yeah. Mm. Crazy. Now, Lisa, as she grew up, she would have her mouth duct taped shut when Judy decided she didn't want to hear her crying or speaking. Good Lord. And in one incident, Judy punished Lisa and Diane by beating the family dog to death in front of them. And in another, Lisa was good parenting here. God damn! And in another, Lisa was encouraged and forced to hit Patty with a board until she bled. Until she bled, yeah. There's some sick people, man. I'll tell you what, man. It's this thing, and a lot of these stories we do. It's really hard to feel bad about the the murderer or perpetrator or whatever. But when you look into some of their backgrounds, you're like, man, the system failed these people. Yeah. I mean, I ain't saying that she what she did was. You know, I ain't taking enough for nobody, what I'm saying, but God almighty. I know. People got some rough lives. But because of all this negligence and beating, social services was notified, and they came and took Diane away. This was the older sister. Yeah. Putting her into a foster home where she would be safe and would flourish and do well. Yeah. But unfortunately, Lisa was left behind. So why? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And years later, Diane, as an adult, would um, talk about this. It, it don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And, but she had never spoken up to uh, either social services or her foster family about the full extent of the abuse and even the rape that she had suffered. Right. Mm-hmm. We're talking like nine-year-old kids here. Yes. And, and younger. Yeah, but these girls, they were subject to rape too. A lot. Yeah. It just keeps getting worse. Because uh, Judy had met a man named Jack. And, uh, I wonder w- if they, they took the one girl because uh, she was only our, well, it was her daughter, though, wasn't it? Yeah. I was going to say because of the dad left. But they were, mind, they were both that. their daughters, yeah. Yeah, never mind, just cut that. Yeah. But she, uh, the mom, Judy, had met another man, Jack, and he began raping Lisa when she was 11. Yeah, he was a mean drunk. Yeah. Piece of crap. Mm-hmm. And he went so far as to build a room onto the side of the trailer just for Lisa so he could go in there and, and rape her and do whatever he wanted to yeah, with her. Yeah, he beat him up, punch him, kick him, choke him. I mean, he'd do that to his wife, to the kids. He didn't care. Did it to all of them. And even have friends come over and have their way with her. Yeah. Yeah. He'd make her take all her clothes off before he beat her. What God. the hell, dude? I know. When when she was only 11, he started, he started raping her. I mean, 11. Yeah. And he was doing this once, twice, three times a week for four years. Yeah. Like I said, he didn't, then he built him a special room where he could just go in anytime he didn't want to. Mm-hmm. God almighty. Yeah. And Judy even told Lisa that she had to pay for her room for the new plumbing that was being installed by submitting to oral, vaginal, and anal rape. Because they would uh, let people come over to the house and she was them have sex with her and pay her. To pay her bills. Yeah. That's what she was doing, man. You know, one time when she got raped, that's what I said, that, uh, he just smashed her head in the concrete floor. And that's probably where this traumatic brain injury stuff come from. Yeah. This Jack guy, man, he's a piece of work. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. That's what he is. Yeah. 
There was one occasion when Judy had actually walked into the room while Jack was raping Lisa. And Judy grabbed a gun and rather than confronting Jack, held the gun to Lisa's head, screaming at Lisa that she had betrayed her. Yeah. So she's yelling at the kid because she's getting raped. Mm-hmm. It's all messed up, man. God almighty, dude. Yeah. Yeah, you're not supposed to be having sex with my husband. Yeah, what the hell are you doing? You're betraying me. But all these other people you can have sex with, even <coughs> though you're a kid. To pay my bill. Well, it wasn't sex. It was rape. It was. Yeah. Okay. God almighty. Yeah. And even at school, it was noticed that Lisa was wearing uh, ill-fitting clothing, and most of it was just hand-me-down stuff. It was all dirty and stuff, you know, because you know she wasn't getting her nothing done at home. And she was often spaced out and would just lose her train of thought. Well, duh. Yeah. She probably didn't want to think about nothing in her life. I know. Probably school was the best thing that happened to her when she'd yeah. get away from home. But Judy and Jack would eventually divorce in 1985 with Lisa testifying about the abuse and rapes she routinely suffered. Well, you know, as even said to the school administrators, they they suspected a lot of abuse, but they never did nothing on to help her out. No. Nothing. Nothing at all. And when they come in, she, her grades just went straight down like she needed to be put in special needs classes just to help her get her through school. They knew some stuff was going on. This, I don't know. This kind of stuff pissing me off, this little girl. I mean, I know it turns out bad the other way, but this girl was, I don't know, what a hell of a life. Yeah, she suffered throughout her whole childhood. Yeah. She did. <clears throat> this is where we need that mob mentality here. Yeah, we really do. <laughs> but when Lisa was 17, Lisa took an Air Force summer program that she excelled in and decided she wanted to apply to enlist believing not only that the enlistment would get her out of her mother's house, but the strict regiment lifestyle would be good for her. Yeah. But it was not to be. Shortly after the divorce from Jack, this was uh, her mom's husband. Trash. Yeah. Judy married a man by the name of Richard Bowman. Now, Bowman's son, Carl, either got Lisa pregnant or Judy instigated an engagement, but by August of 1986. So that's what happened there. So she kind of pushed them two together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Lisa with her stepbrother. Yeah. Yeah. So when Lisa was 18 and shortly after graduating from high school, her and her stepbrother Carl were married. I think he was like 24. Yes, he was. Like yeah. And Dale, <laughs> her new married life just mirrored the rest of her life. Her husband Carl was abusive and would beat and rape her. I don't mind. And even film it along with her cries of pain. So it could be viewed later. So he could watch it later. Yeah. And. Boy, her mama's just a winner picker, isn't she? Yeah. She can just pick them out of muddy. Now, Lisa's half-brother, his name was Teddy Kleiner, later gave a sworn statement testifying that he had viewed a homemade video made by Carl Bowman of Lisa being beaten and then raped. And Kleiner said that at the time he had no idea what to do or how to even approach Lisa about the video. So he just didn't do Nothing. Nothing. Boy, she just, you got all kind of people coming to her rescue, don't you? I know. But what's crazy, though, is later on in 2019, her half-brother, Teddy Kleiner, was shot to death in Topeka, Kansas, and is still an unsolved homicide. Hmm. But anyway. Well, you know, we probably don't know what to do about it. It goes with the family. Yeah. Now, Lisa and Carl Bowman, they uh, lived in poverty, man, with their home missing walls and floors, had no running water or plumbing. Oh, they were loose wires and no furniture. And during this time, Lisa gave birth to four children to this man. 
The first was born in January of 87, with the three following over the next three years. Due to lack of beds, the children slept on the floor. And in 1990, following the birth of her fourth child, Lisa underwent tubal ligation, which was uh, uh, forced upon by her husband, Carl Bowman, and Judy. They both forced it upon her. And about 12 weeks after her sterilization, a sonogram was performed on Lisa, which verified the, the, the tubal ligation was successful, and she would no longer be able to have kids. Hmm. Which means she ain't never going to get a break now. No. Mm-mm. Now, in 1994, Lisa and her husband, Carl, they separated. Lisa had an affair and claimed that it resulted in a pregnancy. Hmm. And she and Bowman would divorce. They would reconcile and remarry and then divorce <laughs> for a Lord. second time in 1998. <sighs> yeah. This poor woman. And in 1999, Lisa moved to Melbourne, Kansas, that we talked about. It was a tiny town. It was roughly 40 miles south of Topeka, Kansas, right. which has less than 500 people. And that's where she met a man named Kevin Montgomery. Yeah, he was a divorced electrician who lived there, and they started dating. Yeah, and they had he had kids of his own, too. Right. So before their marriage in 2000, Lisa informed Kevin she was pregnant and wanted to have an abortion. So he gave her some money. He did. Yeah. He gave her some money for the procedure. Yeah, and it was never spoke of again. No. So it was like, oh, here you go, and then she never even mentioned it anymore. Yeah, and two years later, they now, married, yeah. yeah, Lisa told Kevin that she was pregnant again. Yeah. But, but, she, he, wouldn't let him, but he wouldn't let him go to any of the, the prenatal visits with the doctor. No, uh-uh. But the doctor would later testify that despite Lisa's claims, he treated for he treated her for a cold and ankle pain. Yeah, nothing to do with uh, pregnancy. Mm-mm. And when the supposed due date came and went, Lisa told Kevin that the baby had died and she had donated the body to science. Now, either this girl is really good at manipulation. Or she's just got some dumb people in her life. <laughs> yeah. That, that believes anything. Okay. I wasn't going to go that deep, but yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I just cause I. Uh, anyway, go ahead. Now get this, Dale. In February of 2004, Lisa had turned 36 years old, and by that time, she had moved 61 times in her life. How many? 61. Whew. Almost twice a year. Man. Yeah. I've moved twice, and that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it either time. Yeah, I don't like moving at all. They probably, she probably didn't have nothing to take with her. She just moved. Well, I guess so. You don't got nothing. Get in the car and go somewhere else. So in April of 2004, Lisa Montgomery actually met Bobby Joe Stennett at a dog show in Abilene, Kansas. Mm-hmm. And at this time, both of these women were breeders of rat terriers, and they were both members of this Ratter Chatter online forum. Yeah, that like we talked about earlier. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, Actually, they had a photo made, didn't they? And they were both in the photo. Yes. That one time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, during, during this time in this Ratter Chatter online forum, Bobby Joe got to posting and making comments about her being pregnant. Right. Well, she was a popular figure in this forum. You know, like you said earlier, she was a real respected uh, breeder in this group. And they were, you know, it was just a members only kind of thing. So it was the same people talking to the same people. So she was, you know, pretty popular in here. Yeah. So she was happy to share, share the news that she was pregnant. That's right. Yeah. And at the same time, Lisa Montgomery was claiming that she was pregnant, Mm -hmm. even though she had had her tubes tied. Right. Yeah. So then she came in the group and announced to them as well, even though even saying her due date was in December, knowing that Bobby Joe's was in 
January. Yeah, because they were they weren't like friend friends, but they were like like I said, they were both members of this group, so they were they were seeing each other, you know, chatting back and forth. Yeah, talking back and forth. Yeah, about uh, rat terriers and being pregnant, and I guess they talked about a little bit of everything in this right. chatter group. Yeah, yeah. Actually, they had even exchanged messages to each other, you know, talking about how their cravings were doing and what they were buying and you know, new uh, maternity stuff and discussing baby names and all kind of stuff. And, you know, it was kind of crazy. I mean, Bobby Joe had no idea this woman's lying the whole damn time. Yeah. Just like everybody else. But so she's just, they're, they're friends, kind of sort of. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah, yeah. And she had no idea that Lisa was a, impossible for her to conceive. Yeah. No idea. And Lisa's husband, Kevin, and her children had no idea that, that she, she was lying. Would, yeah. But she did wear maternity clothing. Yeah, appeared to be gaining weight, you know, and faking other pregnancy-related symptoms and, I guess, a Cravings or whatever. Cravings and back hurting and... Sickness. Everything, sickness, everything that comes with it. Yeah. All the fun. Now, in the fall of 2004, both Bobby Joe Stennett and Lisa Montgomery were preparing for upcoming arrivals right. of babies. Mm-hmm. Lisa's first husband, Carl Bowman... Dale, he began a legal proceeding to get custody of their children that he, he had with Lisa. Right. That was living with Lisa and Kevin. Now, this is the 24-year-old guy, that, stepbrother guy. Yeah. That uh-huh. was raping her every day for the kids. And he knew that he couldn't possibly, she couldn't possibly be pregnant. Yeah, because he had forced her into this. Yes. Yeah. And the only way that she could keep custody of those kids is if she produced another baby. She was going to prove them wrong. And that's right. So both of these households were preparing for a baby. And on uh, December 10th, Carl actually filed motion to for the custody of the two kids. Yes, he did. Yeah, so he wasn't just talking about it no more. So the day before Bobby Joe was murdered, this will be on December the 15th, Bobby Joe had gotten a, an email message from the Ratter Chatter Forum. This was from a lady by the name of Darlene Fisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stating that she was interested in one of her pups. And she was wanting it for a Christmas gift for a kid. Right. So I think uh, somebody had posted or somebody had talked to someone, a fella in this group, and uh, they told her that Bobby Joe would be the place to go since her, her dog had just had a litter and they would be ready to go by Christmas. That's right. So that's when Darlene sent the email to her to ask her about her dogs. Mm-hmm. So they exchanged information and... Bobby Joe told Darlene Fisher that she could come the next day on the 16th mm-hmm. to look at the pups and talk about them and decide what she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, wasn't out of, the, out of the ordinary for somebody to want to come and look at the dogs. Mm-hmm. That's right. So this Darlene Fisher turned out to be Lisa Montgomery. Right. She had faked it. The she whole had, thing. She had created a separate account on the That's why they couldn't find, chatter. Yeah. find who she was or an address or anything. That's right. So it was one and the same. That's right. So this woman had befriended her all this time and then created a, a fake profile to meet her and said that uh, she didn't really recognize her when she got there is what you know we found out. It said she was wearing the big clothes and stuff, and I don't know, maybe fixed up different or something, but she was kind of happy that she didn't recognize her. And it was like, wow. Yeah, playing outside with the dogs. Mm. Mm-hmm. Let's go in the house, choke her out, yep. take out her knife. But Lisa Montgomery, a.k.a. Darlene Fisher, showed up with a large coat, and she had a paring knife in her pocket and a cord. Yes. And that's what she used to choke her out and cut the baby out of her womb. And then pinched the umbilical, umbilical cord 
with her fingers and tucked the baby under the coat and went and got in the car. Yeah. And left her on the floor to bleed out. Yeah. And then she drove away to a secluded spot and used baby wipes to clean the baby up. Yeah, because she'd been working online, and she'd got online and seen about home births, about how to do cesarean sections, and how to uh, do other things, including ordering a uh, newborn kit that came with, the, like, the clamps and all that a stuff. birthing uh, kit. A birthing kit with the <laughs> yeah. mu- music, the music, the mucus suction thing and all, all that stuff. Yeah. It, everything you need. Yeah. Yeah, she just ordered a little homemade birthing kit. <laughs> do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> D.Y. birthing. That's right. That's crazy, man. Kitchen floor births. Yeah. Made easy. But like we said, Lisa was arrested. Oh, yeah. She was taken into custody. for. You the know what? what's amazing, before you get too deep into that, is the, the damn job they did tracking her down. The, oh, it was the, quick. The next day. It was quick. Yeah. So well, awesome. Go ahead. Yeah. Because when the Amber Alert went out, you know, this uh, Sheriff Epsy, man, he he's a, a big hero in this as far as finding out what happened. And who these people were, the Montgomerys, and yeah, yeah, because I mean, they uh, actually this um, Lisa had, under this Darlene thing, the Darlene Fisher profile had told her that she lived fairly close. In all actuality, it was like almost three hundred miles away. Yes, and so she probably thought she was covered. That nobody's ever going to go three hundred miles out and figure out what's going on here. But the IP address is what got her. Yeah, luckily. So after the initial indictment against Lisa Montgomery was filed for kidnapping resulting in death, statutory aggregating factors were included that mentioned Bobby Joe's death as being especially cruel, you think? Han- heinous, and depraved, and involved serious physical abuse against Bobby Joe. Oh, man. As a result, the government noted its intent to seek the death penalty against Lisa. Right. And they went through several things in court, talking about her childhood, her borderline personality disorder, her false and fake pregnancies, all this stuff that she had done and lied about. And we're not going to get into all that stuff about the court, but it eventually came out that the jury deliberated for five hours and they did return a verdict of guilty. Right. You know, and, and I mean, she's guilty. You ain't no doubt about it. And they rejected her claim that she suffered with mental illness and defect. Right. Which is, I don't know. This is one of them things where it kind of gets me, you know, because when you first hear the story, you're so really pissed off about what she did and how bad it was and how cruel. And and then you go into other ladies' background and go, damn, her whole life was trash. You know she had to have some mental problems. I ain't trying to make up for what she did, but she should have got some help way down the road. Yeah. I mean, they should have took her when they took the other girl. Diane. Yeah, when Diane was taken away, they should have took her too. They and should I have. think this whole thing would have been different. Yep. So the jury, after a two-day penalty phase trial, Lisa's friends and family, co-workers and doctors testified on her behalf and defense hoped for life imprisonment, signing to Lisa's ability to appreciate the wrongfulness of her conduct, her remorse over her actions and the emotional support she received and would continue to receive from her four children as well as her husband, Kevin. But Kevin, her husband, he was clear to be any wrongdoing in this. He had no clue that his wife was doing a fake pregnancy and planning to kidnap a fetus. Yeah, nor did he know that uh, she couldn't conceive. Yeah. She didn't ever tell him that. No. They, so even, you think when uh, the eggs come back in and saying, well, I'm taking these kids, that she just started flipping out she's got to have a kid? Because she said she was going to prove him wrong, so she's yeah. going to get a kid. Yeah, she's going to get a kid. And she, but I don't know, that came in kind of late to me because she had been planning this for almost a year, it seemed like. Yeah. 
you know, it was crazy. Well, she had to plan it for like nine months or less. I mean, or at least, you know, somewhere in there. Yeah. Seven, maybe. Go ahead. But even Lisa's family had told Kevin, her husband, that she'd had her tubes tied, and he didn't, know, didn't even know what that meant. He had no clue. And he's an electrician? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, don't, I know them two things don't have anything to do with it, but electrician, you think you have to be uh, pretty bright. But on October the 26th, the jury returned with a death penalty verdict. Yeah. Lisa's sister, Diane, who had not seen Lisa since she was four years old, had been reunited with her upon following her arrest. And upon hearing the verdict handed down in the courtroom, she screamed. Oh, I bet. Yeah. We, I mean, it was kind of crazy, you know, because even before the open statements and stuff come out, Lisa's pet scan and all that analysis and everything about that was, they didn't let it in. Yeah. I'm like, I don't understand. But this was a, a federal offense. Hell yeah. And almost exactly three years later, on April the 5th, 2011, her attorneys filed an appeal with the Eighth Circuit arguing, among other things, that the government failed to prove the death penalty resulted from kidnapping that the court erred in excluding certain evidence and the jury was not properly instructed. But this petition was denied. So Lisa was put on death row in Fort Worth, Texas. And Lisa began to see psychiatrists and receive treatment that she'd never gotten her whole life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the doctors saw she suffered from psychosis, bipolar disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder and were suffering with all three at the time she murdered Bobby Joe Stennett. They also felt that she had permanent brain damage from the repeated beatings inflicted by her mother, stepfathers, and her first husband. I don't doubt that either. Yeah. And she was put on a bunch of different medications that controlled many of her symptoms. Mm. And But Lisa was scheduled to be executed on December the 8th of 2020. But at that time, one of her legal attorneys was diagnosed with COVID-19 and the execution was delayed. Right. And on December the 23rd, a new execution date of January the 12th of 2021 was announced. And on January the 1st of 2021, a stay was granted by federal judge Patrick Hanlon, stating that her mental competence needed to be tested. And it could feasibly be argued that she did not understand the grounds of her execution. But in a 6-3 to vote, the Supreme Court vacated that stay, and the January 12th execution date was ordered to be carried out. So on January the 12th, Lisa Montgomery was moved from Texas, where she had requested to be executed, to the death row of an almost all-male federal prison in Terre Haute, Indiana. Hmm. And when asked if she had any last words before her lethal injection was administered, all she said was no. So at 1.30 a.m. on January the 13th of 2021, Lisa Montgomery was pronounced dead, becoming the third woman to be executed by the U.S. federal government and the first female prisoner executed in 67 years. And the first woman to be executed in the United States since 2015 at the time of her death. Right. And she was, uh, at the time, still married to, to Kevin. Kevin Montgomery. Yeah. Who still probably ain't got a clue what the hell's going on. Probably don't. But, you know, this. I really feel bad for Bobby Joe Stennett. You know, she was living her life, wanting a bigger house, having a kid. She's done business. so much stuff, and she's only 23. Yeah, had her had her life planned, man, and she was doing good. And somebody that was wanting their baby, their life, needed a baby to show she was pregnant to do this. It's crazy, That's man. sad, man. It is. To really everybody involved in this damn case. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. The only good thing is the baby lived. Yeah. The baby did thrive. She did well. She's a grown woman now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you talked about this off the air the other day about, you know, the, the baby. They named her Victoria Joe. Mm-hmm. How much would you be told over the years? Being, I guess being a kid, you'd, your parents tell you that mommy's in heaven. Or whatever, you know. But God of mine, when you find out what really happened, how yeah. does that affect you? Eventually. you got to know. I mean, one day you got to set you down before you find it, especially in the day, day and age now, because you can find out anything. Yeah, you can Google your name and there it is. Right. So you got to be told. And both the husband's on both sides, man. Yeah. But Zeb, he did. I mean, poor old Zeb, that was a childhood sweetheart. His miracle. I mean, you, the whole time, that you know, and then, God, I mean, get that call. Going from super happy to you fixing to have a baby. Yeah. I mean, just a couple of, less than a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And then you go home, and everything's all to hell. But Zeb, you know, he raised her with the help of his family, and they'd done a great job with Victoria. It's a sad situation all the way around. Yeah. I guess the only... And think old Kevin, man. He's just blindsided yeah. by all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Kevin, he's got to be the dumbest man in the world. Not to, not to know what's going on. Yeah. Or he just took everything for the golden truth, everything she said. Yeah. I mean, he might have thought he won a lottery. I mean, you know, we don't know anything about him, really. No. He met this lady. Everything looked, seemed to be going good. And They've she, got a Brady Bunch family. Yeah, and a couple, she's pregnant, and then she loses it, and then donates one to science and... <laughs> I mean, all this this weird stuff that comes out later, you don't really know how it was approached. And, and to get, for him to get the information, you know, it's, it's just like, he's like, what? You know, I don't I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't want to talk bad about the dude, but damn, come on, man. Yeah. You got to question something here every now and again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a damn sad story all the way around. Yeah. But anyway, that's uh, the story of Bobby Joe Stennett. You know, young mom, wanting to be mom. Yeah, it was a rough one, man. It, we we struggled to get through this one. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. All right, bud, we're going to get out of here. Let's, let's roll, man. I'm ready. We want everyone to be safe. Just please be careful and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.